welcome to a sunny side of life podcast a show for the woman who is ready to live an abundant life full of freedom and positivity i'm sammy womack and i'm on a mission to help you break free from survival mode gain financial freedom stay motivated and focus on what matters most join the movement and let's start living on the brighter side of life together Hey everyone, and welcome back to another great interview. This week, I am joined by Caitlin Magnuson, the founder of the Freelance CFO, an organization that helps millennials and beyond master their money knowledge and grow their financial freedom. Caitlin works to empower millennials to create the life of their dreams with business that supports their goals and are not only fun, but are also profitable. Through combining her education and years of experience as a tax analyst and controller, Caitlin has discovered the power of investing in personal money management. She believes you can automate your money to hit big financial goals and still buy the latte. It is her mission to help millennials everywhere release financial frustrations and embrace complete success. In this episode, we're going to talk about intentional financial goal setting, how millennials are changing money conversations, the different stigmas that our generation is breaking, and women taking the position of power players and leaders in the money making and money handling roles. Before we jump into that, I want to remind you guys that we are a couple of days into the Vlogmas extravaganza over on YouTube. Yeah, I am putting out a video every single day from the 1st of December until the 23rd. There are so many great videos, so many great topics coming out over there. And if you are already not subscribed to my YouTube channel, jump over and do so right now. You can click the link in the show notes or simply search A Sunny Side Up Life on YouTube and you are going to find me. All right, you guys, let's welcome Caitlin to the podcast. All right, everyone, I am here with Caitlin. I am so excited for you guys to hear this conversation. So welcome and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Hey, I'm Caitlin Magnuson. I'm a millennial money expert. I have really lived a life filled with various financial ups and downs and mistakes and successes. And I take that mixed with my bookkeeping and accounting experience to help others really find their own financial success and financial path and what that means to them. Because I think that that's something that gets overlooked by a lot of kind of traditional finance gurus or professionals is they're like, well, this is, you know, it's A to Z and this is the plan. Um, And I think that for a lot of millennials, especially what used to be, you know, the 2.5 kids in the white picket fence is not necessarily where we all are shooting to end up. So, I mean, I, yeah, I bought my first house the month I turned 20 with my now <laughs> ex-husband and it was really a hope and a wish and a prayer. And I leveraged that to buy um, my dream house uh, actually just barely yeah. over a year ago, moved states, um, was laid off from a job, doubled my revenue. Like it has been <laughs> it's been amazing. Um, the only thing that I'm really missing is being able to travel, which, yeah. you know, it just, it is what it is. Yeah. And that's really a lot of the reason why I wanted to have you on. I feel like we're kind of along the same path as like, Hey, I'm going to do life the way I want to do it. And I'm going to live by example and show other people how to do that. So I was really excited to have you on for a lot of those reasons. Um, yeah. And following your journey with moving and your new house and gosh, it's like so dreamy. So amazing. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's a little surreal sometimes, but no, the, I I get exactly what you mean though, with 
you know, breaking glass ceilings, doing things, you know, changing gender norms, um, being inclusive and, you know, but at the end of the day, where, where can we succeed? And I've worked in corporate, I've worked for myself. um, And I think that understanding, even if you disagree, I think understanding the roles and the framework that we're working within can help you to more quickly succeed depending on what success looks like for you. Right. Exactly. And I don't know about you, but like for me during, you know, gosh, basically since the summer and everything that's happened with all the social justice issues. And then the election was like right afterwards. And I feel like, you know, I want to use my voice and I want to use my platform to change the world for lack of a better term, um, to influence people, you know, and to actually, help people learn, not just to scream at them, my values and not to just basically piss people off. So they unfollow, like, that's not the goal. (laughs) I actually want to educate people and actually want to say in a night, like a calm voice, Hey, this is why I feel this way, you know? And Mm -hmm. I, you're one of those people that I've kind of seen have that same approach. Um, so I would just kind of love to hear your side of, you know, you're all about millennial money, like you said, and, and breaking glass ceilings and changing the rules and things like that. So I would love to hear from you in your own words. How do you feel like us as millennials are changing the conversation and changing the quote unquote norms? Well, I, I will say, I mean, as horrible as COVID and the pandemic and all of the other fallout, you know, that comes mm-hmm. from this, I think that changes that we have seen, not only in our society, but in our workplace has really yes. helped catapult a lot of the changes that millennials have been pushing for anyways. And I've, I experienced this in my last corporate job that I was there for three years. No one had been allowed to work remotely. Um, I was the youngest employee by like 15 or 20 years. It was very much what I like to call, you know, the old white men. Mm-hmm. culture. <laughs> and I, I, w- I came from a point of strength. I didn't need the job. I was looking for a break for a little bit while I pivoted my business And I was able to negotiate vacation time, maximum pay that they'd offered for the position and remote working. I went remote after two weeks of training. Wow. And I think it's something that's becoming more common, but I think the more that we as millennials, especially because we're a huge portion of the workforce now, uh, people will think that millennials, you know, everything forever and ever was getting played. Oh, millennials, millennials, millennials. (laughs) Well, I'm 30. And yeah. I'm not a kid anymore as much as some days I feel like I am. Yes. (laughs) And I'm on the younger side or, you know, kind of middle to younger side of the millennial age range. And we're not 20 year olds anymore. We are. And I think that that's where we're seeing Gen Z kind of push us or or like cheer millennials on because I think that we were the generation that we're told, you know, college was a non-negotiable in a lot of cases. You weren't going to make anything of yourself if you didn't have a college degree. You'd pay your student loans off. They'd, you know, pay back tenfold once you got through them. And we have really seen, you know, section after section of those, I'm going to say promises, mm-hmm. um, fall out from, from underneath us for all of these, you know, socioeconomic reasons and just cult- it has been a nightmare. And I think we have finally, it has been through our, at times, crippling um, credit card, student loan, or housing debt, if we have houses, that a lot of us have bucked the system. You know, either we've looked into financial independence movements, we've looked into non-traditional living environments, because for a lot of us, in order to achieve 
the time freedom that we're looking for, we have to look at non-traditional routes or less common routes. And I think that's been the big driving force because we can't necessarily have what we want. I lived outside of Portland. Could I have eventually had a house that I wanted in Portland proper? Yes. Would it have served my other financial goals? Would I have had to give up on other things? Would I have had to probably have two or three roommates? And it would have been like living, you know, in San Francisco or Seattle or LA. And this pandemic, I think, is helping to change. Like we're seeing, you know, people are leaving a lot of the bigger cities. They're rebalancing to an extent their work-life balance. They're finding places, you know, they're changing their work to fit their life instead of their life to fit their work. And I think that has been one of the best things to come from all of this. Yes. Yes. I love that so much in every single way. And I love all of these, like it starts with the memes, but then it, you know, turns into the conversations of like, you know, maybe we weren't meant to work a 40 hour week. Maybe, you know, all these little things that millennials, I, God love us. We are just like, um, no, I think I'm going to question that norm and go ahead and change it. And we've done that to pretty much everything. And we're just like, no, we're going to change it and we're going to make it better. And that's why I love us. (laughs) Well, and I think there's been a really big push for like mental health awareness. Yes, We've had really, like my sister and I have really candid conversations about mental health and like where we're struggling and things and being really self-aware that I feel like my parents' generation, bless their hearts, lacks a lot of times. You know, we've seen that there. And my dad, you know, there's, there's so much more of a stigma around seeking help or admitting that like, I'm not even going to say that you're not perfect because we all have, you know, things that we struggle with or areas that we could have better skill sets. And I'm a big proponent of like people outsource their money to me all the time and want help. Why should I not do the same thing from the mental health side of things? Like there, there are plenty of people that have tools that I could use. And I think that has been probably one of our big strengths too, as millennials to bring widespread destigmatization of mental health. Yeah. And, and really kind of any kind of help. It's like, I remember kind of growing up and like, you didn't really talk about money. I don't know if that was just my family or if that was just the generation kind of thing, but you don't talk about your money problems. You don't talk about your mental health problems, you know, Mm -hmm. and our generation is really like, nope, I'm going to open that up and we're going to walk around in it. And it's going to be real uncomfortable, but we're going to fix it. (laughs) And that's, you know, that's what we're doing. And yeah. So you had an old post about focusing on negative constraints when it comes to your budget. So I'd love for you to kind of dig into that a little bit more. Yeah. So I'm going to give a little backstory on it, but I'm the kind of person I'm, okay. I'm a projector. I'm a Taurus. I like really nice things, but I also like a minimalist lifestyle at the same time. So there are certain things that I really prioritize. And so for me, every time I would come back to a budget or to a diet, or I I feel like there are so many parallels to draw between the diet industry and a lot of the financial industry, um, good, bad, and different. And so I kept coming back to this budget and I would beat myself up when I exceeded it and, you know, or broke it or whatever you want to say there. And for me, I finally realized that I could, it, it was digging me into a hole to constantly focus on the negative and the scarcity and the lack. Because if I was sitting here looking at what I didn't have to spend, what I didn't have available, I was, you know, basically putting zip ties yeah. for, you know, on these various 
budget categories. I automate my money now. And that's a really big point of what I do. I, all of my bills get paid, all of my retirement, my savings, all of that gets handled. And then whatever is left in my account is mine to do as I want. And it lets me focus on increasing my income. Like if I want to get something upgrade, you know, get a different house, bring a car in. It's all about, I'm not looking at how to find that in my budget. I'm looking at how to increase that in my income. And for me, that felt so much more expansive and attainable because when I look at a budget, you know, that's set out and you say you have $3,000 available and you need to find a thousand dollars more in your budget. For me, it has always been so much easier to make a thousand dollars net income on top of that than it is to find a thousand more in the budget because you can winnow down for sure. And, you know, you can cut things out of there, but at a certain point, you can't cut things anymore without really sacrificing quality of life. And that was something that I wasn't willing to do. And so that's where I focus on the abundance side of finances and automating your money without feeling restricted by budgeting, even though at the end of the day, it's a different type Mm -hmm. of budgeting. I love that. And I actually just this morning was um, emailing with one of my past um, coaching clients and she is like, I'm just kind of having a hard time right now. How do I not spend? And I mean, this woman has done some amazing things in the few months we worked together and then the few months passed and she has increased her income to an insane amount, like an insane amount in six months. And I was like, well, how about you increase your spending? It's okay to spend you guys. Like it's okay to spend. She is crushing her goals way, way beyond where we thought she would be at this time. She's increased her income and you're having trouble spending, like give yourself a little Mm -hmm. bit more spending because I kind of feel like what's the point of making all the money right if you don't get to enjoy it in a way that works for you yeah a healthy way you know and and kind of to parallel with the dieting like I don't want to starve myself I don't want to never have a treat that I enjoy so the same thing with your money absolutely no and I I think that a lot of times it comes back to being mindful because I think so many times, and it sounds like this is kind of how that client was, you know, mm-hmm. you, you end up stuck in that, like, Ooh, spending's bad. Spending's bad. There's yes. all this shame and guilt and debt and all of these, you know, internal and external stories that we hear and tell ourselves that when you get to the point that you're like, okay, I have money. You know, I talked to a client this morning that has an obscene, like we're talking six plus figures in her checking mm-hmm. account. She's like, well, I, I don't know what else else to do with it. And I don't really want to spend it, but it's, it's so fear and lack based. And I'm like, oh my God, like there are, we have, the sky's the limit here. Like not only yeah. can you feel <laughs> safe and have cash on hand, but like we can have this working for you. But I think people get stuck in that spending is bad. I shouldn't spend. I'm a big proponent yeah. of like, okay, put 50% of it towards what you need to put 50%, you know, be, do the responsible, you know, in quotes thing. And then yeah. take the other 50% and go crazy. Like just, it yeah. doesn't have to be 50%, but like go right. do a spa day, <laughs> go do, you know, rent an Airbnb that's in the middle of nowhere and just take a long weekend, discover what you like and what makes you feel treated. And I think that that's something that a lot of this comes down to the gender roles that have been push on us that a lot of us are working to break free from because it has been, you know, I watched my mom, not in a terribly traditional marriage, uh, sacrifice a lot of things, not because my dad expected it, but because she did. And I watched myself, I'm remarried in a fantastic relationship. And I watched myself started, and I started doing the same things. You know, there, 
I would, you know, not go to the spa for the day, not go get a facial. I, you know, I wanted a facial once a quarter. I'm 30 trying to take care of my skin, you know, do what I can here. And no one told me I couldn't. I told myself that I couldn't or I shouldn't. And my husband never once has he balked. We have, you know, separate finances. It was all in my head where I felt like someone was going to be on me for taking time for myself. And it, it was me all along. And I am so much happier. I'm an introvert. And so for me to be able to get out, to go sit in a coffee shop with my headphones in, to then, you know, go to the spa, get my eyebrows done, go get my favorite tacos and come home. Like that is a replenishing day for me. And I was denying it to myself for no reason other than it's what I was telling myself I shouldn't be doing. I love that. Yeah. You're just like speaking to me directly when you're saying all this (laughs) and mine's like a whole nother step, which it's the same thing. My husband would never say, no, you don't deserve, or I would never like really ask his permission. We're not, you know, that's not Mm -hmm. really a relationship, but mine's like another step forward of then I even put it on myself as well. I'm a mom. I'm not supposed Mm -hmm. to, you know, I'm supposed to be the martyr of the family. And that's something that I've really, you know, really, really had to work away from. So I would love to know, because I'm sure you're like resonating with so many people listening. What are some things that you did to kind of work through removing that shame and making improvements in that area? We end up being so busy and so go, go, go for several reasons. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of the reason is because it keeps us from having to think about things that are difficult. And I feel that way about drinking as well. Mm -hmm. I I don't drink very often. And part of this has been both a, an intentional journey, both with food, with alcohol, with time, with money, um, with my emotions and pausing before I do something. So if I'm going to have a drink, I'm making sure I'm, I'm checking in with myself. Am I having a drink because I'm feeling really stressed and I want to ignore it and forget it for a little bit? Or am I having a drink because it's my favorite cider that's seasonal and it's only here for a month and I'm going to have one and hang out and watch the snow. Mm-hmm. And those are two very different intentions for me. And I think once, once I started doing it and catching myself in that cycle, it became easier to catch myself more often. And the same thing with food. Am I snacking on junk food because I'm bored or because I'm stressed or because there's nothing else for me to do and I'm feeling a little bit weird about it and money? Am I shopping just to, and I'm not actually a big shopper, but like, you know, am I buying another 17th plant that I don't really need, but that I'm just getting because I feel empty inside instead of acknowledging why I feel empty inside or why I feel stressed. And that comes back to the self-care too. I had to figure out for me what I liked and what I didn't like. I would just rather sit at home and drink 17 coffees than go shop in a boutique in person because that is my own personal version of hell. Yeah. But for me to go get a facial and get my eyebrows done and have a coffee and have some tacos, like, hmm. But it took me time to figure out what made me happy versus like what society told me should make me happy. Like I do much better with time away, time by myself. I travel internationally by myself. And those are things that fill my cup up. And I think it was really just deciding. Like I took the initiative two new years ago. I celebrated the new year with a really good girlfriend of mine. And we booked, uh, you know, this little tiny spa brew pub thing and just went for it. And that kind of kicked off, I think, continuing to develop and expand 
my comfort zone. So like we're all constantly evolving and I consider myself, you know, I picked a great partner and we have been continuing to evolve together, but I think working on evolving as our own humans has been really beneficial the last few years. I love that so much. And I like how you're talking about kind of setting it up for yourself as a challenge. That's something that I really relate to. If I'm going to set it as a goal, I'm going to set it as a challenge, you know, get a facial once a quarter, (laughs) something like that. And I have to do that to myself or I'm not going to do, I'm just going to put it off. I'm going to put it off, put it off. So I really love that. So I think, you know, for anyone listening who is maybe having trouble spending money on themselves or, you know, really taking that time and do, even if it's not even about the money, it's about the time. A lot of the times Mm -hmm. you feel more selfish about spending the time on yourself than anything. I mean, that's, that's me for sure. Um, making it a challenge, you know, and we're about to go into a new year. So I think that would be a really good goal for anyone who is, is struggling with that. I love that so much. I actually set every year when I do kind of overarching goals, I pick three under several different topics. I have personal, um, I have business and then I have money and I I literally, it was get a facial once a quarter, get outside every day, whether it's sitting outside or walking outside. And this sounds, it's silly, but drink water every day. Yeah. Because those are, you know, I kept it really simple on the personal side, but I've done all of them. Yeah. Getting outside every day and drinking water every day are are two of mine as well. Because I mean, you work behind a computer. It's hard. I mean, there's still days I don't go outside. I'm like, oh man, it's bedtime. I have not been outside all day, (laughs) you know? So I feel like if that's something that you want to work on, you know, it's never too silly to put it on a goals list. And I love that. So I read your article on the Betches page. Oh my God, they're great for one, right? Yeah. And I read that article and I love it. And I wanted to kind of talk about, I'm going to link to it as well because it's so great. And really how brave of you to come out because you probably have gotten some backlash. I would assume anytime I come out and say anything remotely anti-diabetes, it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. You just unleashed the mob. So it was really, it was really great. And I think that it was probably really helpful for a lot of people. But one of the parts that I really wanted to talk about was breaking the generational poverty curse. And I know a lot of people will talk about, oh, we're going to build generational wealth. And I feel like they kind of forget the step one that sometimes you have to, in order to build generational wealth, you have to break generational poverty. Yeah right? (laughs) Yeah. That's a big step. And I feel like we can't just ignore that part, that that's a huge part for a lot of people. So I would love to kind of hear your take on everything that you mentioned in there about the student loans and how that ties into privilege and just tell us a little bit more about that. Yes. So fun fact, that article was a very restrained version of my personal. I'm, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) and I, it went live and my assistant read it and she was like, don't read the comments. And I was like, don't read them. And I haven't because at the end of the day I had, it was a great article to write. And I I keep coming back to it. So thank you because I feel like I acknowledge what I think he does well. And I do think that bringing personal finance to the masses is an absolute win. I am all for that. I think that's great. I think that's about where it stops. Exactly. This whole article sprang up because I (laughs) ended up hot with rage when I saw someone post that he, he put a a tweet up that said, you should not be in a restaurant unless you're working in one until you're debt free. 
that's all well and good to say if you were able to pay for college and cash flow it as you went, if you could buy a house for $150,000 or less and have it paid off, if you could have one partner working, assuming that both partners are coupled, there are all of these assumptions that get made in that. Even then, go have a freaking dinner out every now and then. Like, you know, it goes back to the whole like coffee. Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. but a $5 latte is not going to make <laughs> or break my financial future or the eating out. Like, yes, all of those things added together can absolutely play factors in. But you are demonizing and vilifying people trying to enjoy their life. And yes, there is a balance between the immediacy yeah. of like, I could die tomorrow and I need to have retirement so I don't have to work forever. And he just, there, there's a level of tone deafness that yeah. is jaw dropping. And a lot of that comes into the fact that he is an older white male and there are inherent privileges. I mean, I am a mm-hmm. heterosexual white, uh, you know, woman in the U.S. And that comes with a lot of privilege as well. I came from a pretty standard mm-hmm. middle class background. My parents were able to pay for community college. They also required I go to community college and then, you know, I went to a state school and they were able to do that. But that's not the case everywhere. And I see like one of Dave Ramsey's examples was saying that, you know, people shouldn't take student loans out for college. They should just work and save up until they can. I'm sorry, but if you're going to do pre-med or veterinary or law school (laughs) or so many other ones, and I didn't have the money, even coming from a middle-class background, I would have worked until I was 50 to try and save up the money to do that, to then try, like, it it is such a catch-22 and it's such a bullshit like thing. And we don't, we don't want them to wait and save up. How long would that take you to save up to go to medical school? I mean, you would be like, what, like 40 when you started? (laughs) I mean, yeah. And then you're, you know, thinking a seven to 10 year, like assuming that you have to start like with pre-med roll through, you don't Mm -mm. specialize. Like, yeah, you'd be 50. Assuming that you don't want to start a family somewhere in there as well, especially, you know, I could just think you're a woman and you do want to have a career and children. So then you're going to wait mm-hmm. and save up for your college education. You start college 30, 35, and then, then when are you supposed to have kids? I'm just like, you're not, uh, yeah. uh, 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 this doesn't make sense. No, no. <laughs> it's completely and utterly yeah. ridiculous. And like, I, I think it comes back to having the education or the resources. And that's where I think there have been some really good resources. Not everyone has the access to understand the resources that are even available to them. And I think that having more widely available resources is that if you choose to go to mm-hmm. college, I want you going to college, not because you feel you have to, but because one, you're interested two, you think it's a sound financial investment that's going to better your future, whether that's financially or not, that's your prerogative at that point. You know, if there's a degree that's a barrier to entry and it's something that you want to be in, I'm all for taking out, again, intentional debt, mm-hmm. even if you understand that you're not going to make, you know, 80, 90, 200, $300,000. If you're making, you know, I have a really good friend that's a social worker or a friend that's a uh, family counselor that it required additional schooling. They don't make a ton yeah. of money, but they love what they do and it was worth it to them. You know, to think that it's just as simple as, just wait and save and pay cash for it. You know, it's just not realistic. Yeah, it would be great. It would be ideal. It would be amazing if everyone, you know, just turned 18 and had a college fund set up for them. That would be amazing. 
but that's not realistic. That's not real life. And it, I think if you're telling people don't go to college unless you can cash flow it, don't take out student loans, you're going to have people that just don't go to college and they're just going to stay mm -hmm. in that generational poverty curse. Yeah. And the same thing about, you know, owning homes. We're talking about people who are first-generation college students, mm -hmm. who are first-generation homeowners, who are just trying to claw their way out of poverty, that are just trying so hard to break these generational curses. Mm -hmm. And I just think that, like you said, I mean, great, Dave Ramsey reaches the masses. At least the general public has heard some sort of personal finance, but- <laughs> That's about where it stops. That's about where it stops, honestly. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just, I really loved that part of your article and the whole article was great. So I, I'll link to it for anyone um, listening who wants to hear more about it. It was just, it was really good. But yeah, I, I would just love to hear a little bit more of your take on women moving into the power roles as well. And how have you seen kind of women that you work with maybe taking over the money roles? Have you seen that as true as more women are taking over the household money and things like that. Um, I actually, we, we've gone back and forth. I grew up with a household that believed all money should be joint that, you know, your money is my money and my money is your money and vice versa. It's all one big pot. Mm -hmm. But what I didn't like is that my, my mom would give my dad a weekly cash allowance mm -hmm. and my mom did the bills and paid them and kept a paper checkbook and still does. She won't do online. Dating. <laughs> and I felt like that was such a messed up power dynamic because you give your children allowance. You do not give your spouse an allowance. And it was something that they had agreed upon. You know, it was not my mom saying it, it was my dad being like, yeah, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm working, he was, was an electrician for years. Um, I just want a cash allowance that lets him do his thing. And that was their version of like mad money basically. Yeah. But I came in my now marriage and it was very interesting for me. Um, I made less than David for the first three months we dated. And then I very rapidly surpassed him in income and he handled it like a pro. I think that there can be, I think it can be really interesting when the financial dynamic changes between yeah. partners. Um, especially if it's different than when you had first gotten together and it was not, it was something that took some adjusting because I'd never made as much money as I was making and he'd never owned a home. And so he was used to having all of his money be disposable. And I was used to not having any money <laughs> uh, because I had all the bills and roommates and everything else. And so we had joint finances at the time and ended up separating them and divvying up bills accordingly. And we reassess our finances every, I mean, we talk about them all the time, but every three to six months as our finances fluctuate. If things are, you know, uneven or there's a disparity, you know, if he makes 20% of the money, he pays 20% of, of the bills mm -hmm. and vice versa on my end. And if that, you know, changes, we make changes accordingly and split bills up. And it has worked really well because it allows us to maintain our autonomy. Um, if he wants to go crazy and buy a dirt bike or an RC <laughs> car, um, all things currently being looked at, I can just ignore it and let him do his thing. 
and vice versa. If I travel to Paris and, you know, do whatever I want and buy a pair of Louboutins and come home, like it's, it's my money to do with what I want. And so it still achieves our joint financial goals. And I see the same thing with my clients. I have some clients that are like, no, 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 everything needs to be joint. Right. And that's fine. Like I am really a big proponent of, you know, and there's like 17 different ways to split your finances up. But I have seen, I think probably, I would say 80% of the women that I work with spearhead the majority of the finances or at least the financial organization. Like, hey, we need to get retirement set up. Let's go do this. My biggest concern with that, and I don't know your thoughts on this, you know, being a parent, I just have the furred and feathered children. (laughs) Um, But I feel like that's great and I'm all for it, but something else needs to give within the family responsibility dynamics, because I feel like a lot of times it's women taking on just another role and another responsibility without necessarily dropping anything off their plate. Yeah. I see that a lot too. And in a lot of my clients as well, for us, it's kind of like the budget kind of goes in with my other household (laughs) responsibilities and we're good with that. But what is interesting to me is that that's, this was not always the case. I know like with my parents, we're kind of the same situation as yours. Um, you know, my mom did the the checkbook and, you know, she did make sure we had the grocery money and the things like that. With my grandparents though, no. I mean, still even, I mean, they're in their seventies now and still my grandpa is in charge of the money and um, he yeah. gives her cash and she goes and gets her groceries. She's like, hey, I need grocery money. And she gets her little grocery allowance and that's it. And she has no idea what's going on with the money. So it's really interesting to me how the roles have changed, Mm -hmm. you know, the norms anyway, it's not always that way, but have slowly changed over the past couple of generations and how it has, I've seen a lot with my clients, like kind of like in my own family, the money just has kind of somehow become another household chore. Mm -hmm. And, and that's really interesting to me. And so, and I wonder a lot if that kind of parallels with women moving into more power roles as far as, you know, government and other big companies and different things like that, if that is kind of going along with it, you know, which one came first, I guess, is right. kind of, you know, my, my thought there. <laughs> and I, I don't have the answer there. I think what I keep coming back to is I think as information and accessibility continues to, I'm going to say increase. I'm going to be really optimistic here, mm-hmm. but because I feel like there should be an asterisk on the end of that because yeah. it is not in all communities. Um, but as it continues to increase, I think what I would really like to see and what I've noticed in my own relationship is we have been dividing things based on who's better at doing the thing and who has more capacity and that fluctuates. And I would like to see more of that regardless of, you know, gender or identity or, okay, my husband's unemployed by choice at this point, which I love. That means he's been doing the cooking and he's been doing the bulk of the cleaning and he did a ton of outside chores because that's the season of life that we're in. Um, The finances, I tend to be better at them and I tend to do them because again, it's kind of what my business is, but that's still an open conversation. You know, I know what's being made for dinner and he knows where we're at on the mortgage. And that's where I would really like to think, like to see things go is as information becomes more equitably accessible that we pick and choose and divvy things up 
based on how it best suits us instead of, oh, guess what? You have access to this now and you're going to take this on and you're going to do the bulk of the child raising and yeah. you're going to do the bulk of the, um, what was it? Emotional labor, which even without having children, I find myself assuming a lot of, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, you know, David does the bat. He was cleaning the bathrooms and I went to go look and I was like, wait a second. And I asked him, I was like, have you been cleaning the bathroom mirrors? And he's like, well, no, you didn't ask me to. Uh, <laughs> and I had to rewind for a second. You know, he's he's 30, almost 35. And I realized, like, that it was the emotional labor thing coming back and yep. me in the ass. And I, I looked at him and I was like, okay, I'm not here to give you a list on everything. You you were able to look around and see. And it was just having those conversations. But I think it's it, it can be easier to do something yourself or to give someone the list than to wait for them to, you know, kind of become aware of what needs to change or what needs to be done. And that's something that I have to purposely kind of rewind myself back on, or I have the tendency to kind of run people over and I can't keep doing that. And I think that's something that we have to continually as women and obviously huge generalization, but push back on. I just think that it's really interesting that we are kind of going into this movement almost of just women and our roles changing. And, you know, it's kind of interesting to me to watch it and see, you know, as a millennial woman, how much has changed just in our lifetime. And now watching, you know, I'm raising three women (laughs) of the next generation. And so it's just really interesting to watch, like, what is happening first? Are we raising our little girls to, be strong, independent women, and then their education comes into play. And now they're just shifting and changing and, you know, making power moves. And it's just really interesting to watch. Yeah. As we kind of wrap up here, I would love to know just what is some advice if you could go back and and speak to a former version of yourself, what kind of advice would you give the former version of yourself? On a a non-financial note, I think it would be to stop giving Mm. too much of yourself, but not because you need to fill your cup first before you give to others or whatever the saying is, but because you're inherently worthy of being taken care of and of taking care of yourself and of being your number one priority. And I think younger me felt like they needed to make others in their, you know, in, in my life more important or take care of, or if they needed me, it meant I was needed and valued and that I am my biggest and best and most valuable project. I am the only one that's going to be with me my entire life. I love that. Um, From a financial standpoint, I would say don't cash that retirement account out that you cashed out. It was only $1,500, but God, those penalties hurt. Set it and forget it. And (laughs) God, I wish I would have put $100 a month in when I was rolling in cash as a private swim instructor in my late high school years because that was not the case when I hit college so yes I think those are those are the two things those are really really good advice I love that so much yeah so what can we look forward to seeing from you in the future as you move forward with your business and just everything else that you have going on um, my website launch is almost ready to go up I'm actually moving from the freelance CFO to an all encompassing CaitlinMagnuson.com website that I'm so excited for. And then I'm launching um, a self-study bookkeeping course. That will be the thing that helps me dramatically increase my reach and help expand 
the financial accessibility for business owners, especially with the um, increase yes. in freelancers and the gig economy with COVID and just in general. Yeah, that's awesome. So like I mentioned earlier, I'm going to link to all of your stuff, um, your Instagram the website, like everywhere that people can find you. I'm also going to link to that article that I would love for people to check out. And yeah, so thank you so much for taking this time out to hang out with us and share all of your wisdom with us. No, it's been fantastic. It's just it's so nice to be able to chat with someone else that's in a similar space because I feel like yeah. the, the finance industry, the, the landscape is changing, but it has been so male dominated for so long. And it's nice to feel, you know, I'm all I'm all for collaboration over competition. And it's just nice to be building yeah. this amazing community of humans. So thank you. Same. It's been really fun to follow you on Instagram and get to chat with you and you know a fellow sister on the journey <laughs> so thank you so much and that is all for me this week bye guys thanks for hanging out for another episode of a sunny side up life podcast if you enjoyed this episode please share it with a friend because you never know who needs to hear this message if you haven't already please leave a review and subscribe reviews and subscribers are what help the podcast grow and what help new ladies find our community and again, thanks for hitting play on this episode and for investing some time in yourself today. Remember that I'm always here to support you and I'm always cheering you on along the way. Don't forget that everything that we mentioned in this episode will be linked in the show notes. All right, that's all for me this week. Bye guys.